When a man arrives to visit Rose, she's delighted to learn he knows of her because he was friends with Charlie. Spending time with him, she begins to enjoy revisiting old memories she had avoided. But does sharing a history mean they should be sharing their lives? For Buddy, it does, which is why he invites Rose to move in with him. But Rose isn't sure if she loves him or just loves remembering Charlie. Before she can decide, Dorothy learns something concerning about Buddy. Will Rose move to Boston? Will Blanche and Dorothy find a dress for the upcoming fundraiser? Will the FCC order the flesh dress to be censored? All of that and more in today's episode, Charlie's Buddy. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. You're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance, and sing, and laugh just doing our thing. No matter the misters that come. a treat as we start out with a pull away from the oversized palm tree behind the house. Going inside, we follow Sophia in a purple and black dress and black cardigan and Dorothy in a cream top, floral vest and duster, this time in hospital blanket pink, who just got home from shopping. The outing apparently hadn't gone well. Looking specifically for a formal dress, Sophia's idea of helping was to ask if it came with a wide load sign usually only reserved for semi-trucks wider than 8 feet 6 inches. That slight has Dorothy refusing to take her mother shopping ever again. And that's fine by Sophia. She's happy to be granted bathroom autonomy. Apparently, Dorothy's finding a dress for the upcoming banquet has been quite the affair, as Blanche, in head-to-toe teal, delights at the visual of Dorothy's dress bag. Or maybe she's hyped up on something else as she describes the intense passion she feels Dorothy should be experiencing towards the garment. Dorothy then compares her enthusiasm to that of someone defending the Texas-based building that was pivotal in the Texas Revolution, the Alamo. Honestly, and quite literally, the only thing I know about the Alamo is that it doesn't have a basement, but its gift shop does. Okay, are there any questions? Yes. Where's the basement? Excuse me? Aren't we going to see the basement? <laughs> There's no basement at the Alamo. <laughs> Turns out the dress hunt has been epic. Because of Dorothy's height and measurements, it's been hard to find a flattering dress. That's why she's been going out shopping for five weeks to find one. After Blanche isn't surprised to hear it's been hard to dress Dorothy, she sort of apologizes, even tries to empathize with her own size fluctuation, which can be anywhere from a size 4 to a... Helping her friend finish the thought, Dorothy adds, to a 16. Dorothy. Blanche laughs the body shaming off, and just in time, Rose, wearing a purple blouse with red cardigan and pants, looks like she'll be joining that Red Hat Society for a lunch meeting at a Red Robin. And she, too, is ecstatic to see Dorothy has found a dress. Now that both girls are home, Dorothy is ready to give the big reveal. With a warning of how basic the dress is, she unzips the bag to expose a plain, long-sleeved black velvet dress— one that I know my mother had back in the 80s. And frankly, I don't think it's that bad of a dress. She'd look real good in that. Yes. Long, and, tall, dark Dorothy. Do you? That's lovely, first off. Thank Secondly, you. yeah, since when can you not just wear a plain black dress and gussy it up with some jewelry and stuff? A brooch. Yeah, her, her initial instincts in the dress buying, though it took five weeks, she was in the right direction at first. Yes. Her, her, her coming pivot will send a chill through you. I know you didn't have a traditional prom or anything, but did you have to go tux shopping I ever? sure didn't have a traditional prom. I, prom. I went to see Deep Impact with my friends, <laughs> and then we stole movie posters from bus stops while my one friend wore a tuxedo. And then I didn't have sex for four more years. Still. I didn't have it then, and I still didn't have it for years after. I was trying to get... <laughs> 
I've had to wear a tuxedo, but not for that. What? Have you? I wore a tuxedo and tails to my dad's second wedding. I look like a little, little penguin boy. No, I look cute, but I, uh... I was confused on the day. I was 10. Why am I reading at your wedding? How are you getting married? What? Where's mom? <laughs> What it's like as an adult man or a a teen man if you ever had to go tux shopping. (laughs) (laughs) We ain't starting over shit. That's all going in there. (laughs) Hmm. So it was more so as you were an older older boy, what tux shopping was like for you was more so the direction I was going there. I no. I <laughs> I've never had to do that. For, I never went to a dance. Have you but have you ever gone to like a like a suit store and they had to do like measurements and stuff? Hmm. Maybe not. No, I don't think so. Wow. Lucky. I don't think so, yeah. A lot of stuff is surfacing. Yeah, it's, it's fun. All right. So <laughs> did I answer your question? <laughs> for a hospital fundraiser, Blanche thinks, well, She can't say what she thinks. She wants to be nice. Rose, on the other hand, loves it. If Dorothy hadn't picked it, she would have. And with those two inputs, Dorothy decides that the dress will be returned. Blanche's dress plans are the antithesis of Dorothy's. Not only will she not have to go shopping, she has a plethora of sexy clothes just hanging in her closet. In her mind's eye, she can see herself in her low-cut, high-slit, backless, strapless, inhibitionless, red-sequined mini-dress. Dorothy has a suggestion. She could always just wrap a scarf around her waist. Delighting in Dorothy's jealousy, Blanche laughs before giving Dorothy's shoulder a gentle slap. Coming through the living room, Dorothy has great news for Sophia. Taking a guess, she hopes the magnesium oxide medication used for constipation, Haley's M.O., finally changed their flavor. Oh, that's beautiful. Thanks. Say, did you notice Margaret yesterday? Yes, she seemed quiet. Mm -hmm. Definitely not the old Margaret. Hi, girls. Margaret. (laughs) Say, who wants to go to the dress sale? I hear they have some fantastic buys. Margaret's problem? Occasional irregularity. But look, she's back in the swing with Haley's M.O. Good-tasting Haley's is a gentle, gentle blend that works. When you need a laxative, get back in the swing with Haley's M.O. Well, that wasn't the exciting news. Apologizing for being mad towards her earlier, Dorothy hopes Sophia will accompany her to the mall the following day to return that dress and resume the search for another. This is Sophia we're talking about. Throughout her daughter's life, she has needed dresses, and she's been there to get them for her. There was the one for her first communion, her prom, wedding, and frankly, she is sick of shopping for dresses. This one is for Dorothy to figure out. On her way out the door to go party at Mildred's, maybe to do some bum goofing, Sophia opens the door to reveal a man who was just about to knock. Responding to the stranger's question as to if Sophia was Rose Nyland, Sophia not only tells him no, but that if she starts behaving like her to pull the plug, you know, put her down, have her sleeping with the fishes. Playing the handsome salt and pepper man is Milo O'Shea. There is a lot I could say about the actor, but I'll leave it to Brian. Yes, I know he's a liar, but this is a good clip. Williams. The great Irish actor Milo O'Shea once said he wanted to be remembered as more than just the Irishman with the eyebrows. But when word of his death arrived today, we thought of the superb Irish actor with those wonderful eyebrows. His performance in The Verdict with Paul Newman left an indelible mark. He appeared in a slew of TV series like The West Wing. He was twice nominated for a Tony. Born to two performer parents in Dublin, he got off to a rough start here in the States and had to take a job as an elevator operator at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel here in New York. But he broke out with a great performance in Ulysses. The great Milo O'Shea died of Alzheimer's complications. He was 86. Did you have anything to say about him? I don't remember the big movies he was in, but... 
I don't really know Milo shit. Milo O'Shea. Oh, okay. I just know that he's been in a million things. Yeah. And I probably know him from TV and, oh, The Matchmaker. That's it. Oh. That's it. Janine Garofalo. Yep. Yep. That's the one. That's a cute movie. She, like, goes to this little town or something, and then she's, like, uh, related to people, and then there's, like, oh, you're destined to be with this guy. And she's, like, I'm a, I'm a tough, shitty girl. And he's, like, hurry to charge to And then they're, like, Wait, Milo O'Shea and Janine Garofalo? No, 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 David O'Hara and Janine Garofalo. He plays, like, he plays, I believe, I believe he may be the titular matchmaker in that movie. I hope so. I don't mean to be rude, but who are you? I'm the local matchmaker. You want to take up her test drive? In your dreams, Patty. If you want a real matchmaker, love, call me. This isn't a humiliate the tourist scenario, is it? No. Hello, I am representing an American senator. You're from America, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Who's in search of his Irish ancestors who moved to Boston. Maybe his ancestors were leprechauns. Now that'd be good, wouldn't it? Is being an idiot like being high all the time? No. 50 pounds says you can't sort out Sean and the Yankee. No offense, but I do not want to get married. Why not? It's the most natural thing in the world. You get two lonely people together sometimes, and it's like they've known each other all their lives. Gramercy Pictures presents... Hi, good afternoon. Thank you for coming. But if anyone is here just to propose to me, you should leave now. (laughs) Janine Garofalo, David O'Hara, Milo O'Shea, J.O. Sanders, and Dennis Leary. Once the man finds his way into the house, he immediately reveals himself a liar. If he literally just asked Sophia if she was Rose, why would his first words to Rose be, 42 years, Rose Nyland, I'd know you anywhere? In the true crime business, we call that a red flag. As Rose tries to guess who the guy is, he answers for her, Buddy Rourke. Turning to Dorothy and Blanche with a jubilant tone, Rose restates his name and introduces him to the girls. Her clear discomfort and false enthusiasm has Dorothy whispering in her ear, You don't know who he is, do you? Nope, she sure doesn't. Seeing as the girls were whispering at the same skill level as Sophia when she holds her hand up to her mouth, Buddy definitely overheard them, and he assures Rose that she's right. She doesn't know him, but he knew Charlie from when they had served together in the Army. Stationed at Fort Bragg in North Carolina, the boys were part of the 82nd Airborne, a special parachute assault operations division. So, Charlie was a badass. As for anyone who actually served in the 82nd Airborne, their tagline, able to respond to crisis contingencies anywhere in the world within 18 hours. After serving with each other in World War II through Normandy, Buddy and Charlie had become friends, and Buddy had always wondered what happened to him. Rose apologizes to Buddy for never hearing of him. Charlie, who fought in the war, probably experienced unimaginable trauma, and he didn't like to talk about it. As much as Buddy wanted to see Charlie again, he lived in Boston and never really had a reason to go to St. Olaf, not even to change planes in St. Gustav, Dorothy inquires, and is then corrected by Rose. Silly Dorothy, there are no airports in St. Gustav. It is accessible only via tobogganing, which sounds fun and all, but when the snow melts in the summer and the sled isn't quite enough between your butt and the ground to keep it from hurting, it loses all its pleasure. Maybe that's the case, but you do get all of those tobogganing miles, Dorothy adds, receiving a look of near disgust from Rose. So if Buddy only knew Charlie to live in St. Olaf, how did he come across Rose in Miami after more than 40 years, Blanche asks. Easy. He was working on records in the VA when he came across Charlie's file, which had Rose's current information listed. Seeing her name reignited his desire to connect with at least someone who was part of his friend's life. You know, hearing this retelling after just just watching the episode, I'm picking up a lot of clues. Yeah, <laughs> that I didn't pick up the first run through. So I'm I'm watching you. <laughs> I'm on you, buddy. Yeah. He hadn't gone out of his way just for Rose, but had ended up going to Miami and wanted to pay his respects. Excited to share stories about her Charlie, Rose invites Buddy to stay for a delicious dinner of sweet and sour smelt kebabs. Hoping to get a change of menu, a silent agreement to lie is made between Blanche, Buddy, and Dorothy. See, Dorothy doesn't want smelt kebabs because she had them for lunch, as did Blanche. 
and oddly enough, Buddy had some on the plane. Not only did he already eat, but he is exhausted from traveling. So while he'll be skipping out on dinner, he would like to meet Rose for lunch the next day. On top of lunch, Rose would like to be Buddy's tour guide around the city. With that, he'll be back tomorrow at noon. Rose is excited about spending time with someone she can share memories about Charlie with. Dorothy and Blanche are happy for her, too. Blanche is even happier to report Buddy didn't have a ring on his finger. For Rose and Dorothy, they find it preposterous that a man would show up and that would be the first thing Blanche would care about. Well, it's not like she looked on purpose, but when he was checking her out, she just had to know his status. Curious if there had ever been a man that hadn't checked her out, Blanche does have one harrowing tale from 1976. It was after an encounter with then-presidential candidate Jimmy Carter, who went on to, and this is a true story, give an interview in Playboy where he admitted to lusting for women outside of his marriage. Saying the quiet part out loud almost cost him the win. For Blanche, it only confirmed that she thought he hadn't looked her over, but clearly he had. Popcorn! Come get your popcorn! We are at the pier joining the reminiscing birds as they swap Charlie stories. One of them being that Charlie, who received a weekly letter from Rose, would read them out loud to the guys. Well, unless they got too spicy and she started writing about gherkin flurkers and hobbenflobbers. Coco, you made a great point while we were watching, before he disclosed that the private parts were private, that... If Charlie had been sharing the details of their lovemaking schedule, that it's possible Buddy would have been more apt to go and visit Rose sooner. Uh, as I was theorizing that, it did occur to me that Charlie probably wasn't that kind of guy. That is how Charlie would have been. He would have been a gentleman. Absolutely. Part of the letters included the gossip Rose had learned while she was at church, which reminded Buddy of a St. Olaf scandal. Rose is shocked Buddy remembers the tale of Phineas Wiggler, Phineas came from a respected family, which is why it was such a shock when Phineas took a contract with the Navy to build submarines. Well, there was a mix-up in the Marines part, and Phineas thought he was getting paid half a million dollars to make a hundred sub sandwiches. He thought it was the value of his ingredients that had fetched such a huge price. After Buddy laughed at the story, just as he had when Charlie told it, Rose is in awe. She can't believe after all of these years how much about Charlie and his life with Rose that Buddy remembers. That's when Buddy opens up. Rose's photo was stunning and her letters were appreciated, leaving no one wondering if Charlie had a good woman at home. But he wasn't there to see Rose just because of his late friend. Rose herself was pivotal in Buddy surviving the war. He didn't have a girl when he went off, so he lived vicariously through Charlie's letters and stories. They laid the groundwork for the type of woman he was seeking out to be his wife, but he never found anyone who was quite as Rose Nyland as Rose Nyland. Just as Charlie had carried the letters through the war, Buddy has carried his love for Rose in his heart throughout his life. And with that, they kiss, leaving Rose appearing unsure and maybe even overwhelmed. Back in the living room, Sophia is on the couch with a white and blue farm chic dress and a matching blue cardigan, reading a fashion magazine. Hollering out to Dorothy, Sophia keeps it real as to the odds of Dorothy's new dress working out for her. If she hurries up and tries it on now, they can still get to the mall before it closes to be able to return it. Then, Dorothy enters. This dress. Diz damn dress. There is a lot of well-deserved hate for Dorothy's wedding dress. Coco, I know you haven't seen it, but it is often referred to as the toilet paper dress. While that dress is awful, I honestly think I hate this one more. It's just a big bag of flesh. And I know I'm a writer, but there's a difference between writing and having a way with words. So I turn to Coco for a more poetic description. Coco, can you describe the dress? It looks like the inside of a trout. <laughs> it looks like, well, we well to be honest, we figured it out in between takes here that it looks like the creepy eyeball guy from Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, the sleeves, the hangy flesh. The sort sleeves. of it was. It looked like it looks kind of like a Star Wars character, 
It oh, looks like yeah. something out of Starship Troopers. Yeah, it has a futuristic. It, you know what it really looks like is it. is when they do a colonoscopy camera, when you're going up a pipe, a human <laughs> pipe, and you're seeing all those bumpy lumpies. <laughs> That's what it looks like on a person's body, kind of like a mollusk like or something. Yeah, and pale, <laughs> Mitch McConnell, right? I guess intestines is what I. Yeah. Oh yeah, intestines. Looks like an intestinal wall on a body. There is a rigidness to it that is very internal uh, feeling. What did they see and like about it? I do like the jewelry. And I do like the structures. I do feel like it's kind of a almost 1920s Art Deco vibe. Where it would have like the sleeves that go. Yeah, just kind yes. of like. The, Sunset Boulevard style, Yeah, right? and, and yeah. like the columnness of it. But it's like, I have written down here the fleshy bat wings. yeah. It's it's just I think the biggest problem is the color. I think that's what I was gonna say. What color would be best? I think for if it? it had been red, blue, black, anything that didn't look like Ooh, skin, a deep blue color. Ooh, I you think just if dive it, was... in. it looks like the ocean. <laughs> yes. Let me surf those waves. <laughs> Zbornak. Yeah, any color except the fleshy orange pink that it is would have worked. I think. Yeah, it kind of looks also like. Uh, in Silence of the Lambs where that one cop gets filleted and hung up by those yes. bars. Yes. Kind of looks like that too. Yes. And it doesn't help that it tapers down so I just picture their little feet like trying to walk in it. And and the fact that Blanche looks short and frumpy in it, that tells you. On a personal note, it's not my favorite body type but she has a great body. Yeah. And that thing doesn't help. Mm-mm. Yeah, we were talking about her figure when she was wearing, oh, her little her outfit later, right? Yes. Oh, so great. When I say we were talking about her body, I mean we were talking about how fit she was. Yes, that we were like how... discussing if she was a dancer, and, and just that, yeah, that her chest is very firm. She's little, yeah. she's a little bit older, and her chest is very together. Yeah. Look at her go. But this dress. Tappa tappa tappa. You know, there's a lot of that going on. Yeah, I think anything but flesh tone. Because even when I was younger and I think I wasn't quite sure what circumcision was or like uh, a non-circumcised penis, I always felt that when I saw it. If you were on Project Runway and they were like, the theme this week is circumcision. Be a throat. (laughs) And I don't judge anyone. I'm sure there are people that love these dresses. Maybe love it on Blanche, love it on Dorothy. That's you. That's fine. You... I just won't have you go shopping for me. If you do, please Gmail us. <laughs> yes, if you love that dress, please tell me why. Tell me why. Sophia is taken by the miracle of Dorothy finding a stunning dress, adding the designer deserves a Nobel, you know, because Dorothy just can't look nice. Sophia's one legitimate critique is that the sleeves need to be shortened, which Rose can do. That is, if she'll actually be home, since she's been out all the time polishing the clubbed walking stick or shillelagh of buddies. You know, rolling in his green fields, baking his potato, giving his Guinness some head, minding his flock. Capturing his leprechaun. Oh. Reaching the end of his rainbow. (laughs) uh, Having a uh, long-standing dispute going on between two different halves of the country. Is that Ireland? The Troubles. <laughs> yes. Am I saying things? <laughs> yeah. Hollering from her room, Blanche too has found a dress for the fundraiser, only she didn't pick one from her closet. She went and bought a new gown. That's when Ellen... You know, Nana used to do some painting when she was young, didn't you, Nana? I posed nude and spread my legs. That's cool. I'm sorry, Blanche comes bursting into the living room, sporting the exact same dress. Staring at her friend in the same peachy deli counter pink dress, the girls are mortified. But Sophia has a solution. Just get another dress for Rose and they can turn the fundraiser into a costume ball and go as the singing group, the Pointer Sisters. (laughs) 
since that isn't a real option, Dorothy brings up the valid point that Blanche shouldn't have this dress because she was going to wear something she already owned. Yes, that's what she had intended to do, but when she tried her things on, they didn't fit. This comes as no surprise to Dorothy, who witnessed Blanche eat so many of the delicious yet discontinued pudding pop ice treats that she could have built a stick version of the Eiffel Tower. Oh boy, Dorothy. Don't watch anyone eat and then judge them and bring it up later. Nasty. Hoping to put her friend in her place, Blanche corrects her. It wasn't that things were too small. It's that they were too large and they were just hanging on her, she says while wearing a dress that looks like nothing but hanging fabric. For Sophia, it's Blanche's body parts that are doing the hanging, which is why she needs to wear a dress. When Blanche attempts to problem-solve, Dorothy is stubborn, but I think she's right to be. Blanche did say she would be using her own clothes, and Dorothy has been shopping for over a month to try to find something that works. Blanche doesn't care about all of that. For her, it's only about who looks better in the dress, which is her. Home from a date in a dress made of what can only be described as your babysitter's wallpaper from 1986 is Rose, who doesn't acknowledge the twinning going on, just tells the girls that she likes their dress. No longer concerned about Rose's opinion, the girls get back to fighting. Jumping into the middle, Rose starts to ask for help. She needs her friend's advice. But Blanche needs to know when Dorothy started to care about looking good. Easy. It was back when she, the hunchback of Notre Dame, was able to get hump reduction surgery. What Rose needs advice about is Buddy, but the girls are too busy arguing to acknowledge her. That's because Blanche has always been a pillar of fashion. People will expect to see her in something so glamorous. You know, because everyone else will be expecting Dorothy to be wearing a garbage bag and a small Jewish hat. Ignoring the fact that she's being ignored, Rose continues. Buddy is going back to Boston at the end of the week, and he asked her to move in with him. And she's considering it. It isn't until Rose walks away that Blanche and Dorothy finally hear her. Taking a seat at the kitchen table amongst the oversized leaf of lettuce plate, Rose is patiently waiting for her friends to arrive, and they do, shocked at the bombshell she dropped. When their first reaction is no, she doesn't see why she shouldn't. Sure, she and Buddy don't know each other, but she feels like she has known him forever. They've shared stories about her life back in St. Olaf, her life with Charlie, her life with animals. If he didn't get a purple heart for service, Blanche feels he deserves sainthood for patients like that. Helping herself to the conversation, Sophia wants to make sure she heard Rose correctly, that she plans on moving in with Buddy. When she is assured that that is the plan, she can't believe she's had to live through a Polish pope, that being Pope John Paul II, and two world wars, only to have Rose move in with Buddy. I can't really tell if she's horrified by the sinful nature of it or if it's some sort of miracle that Rose will be leaving. Either way, the moment has her hopeful the network CBS would be able to come up with a morning news show, which they did that very year. Now it has had its ups and downs and even took a hiatus in the 90s. But now, boy oh boy, don't you mess with my CBS mornings. I like that. And come on, cut. Move to something else. Make it a little snappier. Stop me before I start twerking. Stop me. <laughs> I'll have what you got. I never ask you for anything linear. Are you going to wear your sunglasses the whole time? This is early. Drew Barrymore, it's good to see you. And I wore yellow in your honor. And I wore yellow in your honor. You can't see it right now, but I'm wearing Spanx. Distraught, Rose doesn't know what to do. Without being asked, Dorothy has thoughts about it. She's moving too fast, which Blanche actually agrees with via a nodding index finger. But it is better to move in with the guy when you're still getting to know him than to just run off and get married. Blanche totally disagrees. Rose moving in with him is a full-on, morally wrong, ethically offensive sin. While it's not totally shocking someone old-fashioned might feel that way, it is earth-shatteringly strange that Blanche would. The statement has Dorothy wondering if she's living in Wonderland along with Alice. Even Rose is shocked at Blanche's shock. For someone who lives with a new man nearly every night, she shouldn't be the one to judge. But in her eyes, there is a difference between casual sex and living together before marriage. Dorothy agrees. She's right because when you're married, you don't have to buy condoms or pack a hoe on the go bag. 
as progressive as our dear Blanche can be, she still holds some things in high traditional regard. If you move in, he won't want to marry you. You know, kind of that whole why buy the cow when the milk is free idea. And if you don't get married, you don't get to register for nice department store gifts. You don't get to have catered wedding showers or a wedding at all. Dorothy can understand and validates Blanche's opinion, but she knows there's another side to the coin. If she had moved in with Stan as a teen and not gotten pregnant, she would have learned pretty quickly that he was a crappy partner, saving them the pain the relationship has put them through for the last 40 years. Sophia even agrees with her on that one. Not only could she have saved them all the pain of a divorce, she could have at least have had a shot at having somewhat good-looking kids. Ouch, Sophia. Without disagreeing or fighting her friends, Rose simply presents her feelings about it. Because Buddy knows so much about her life, it is easy and natural to be with him, which makes the move feel like the natural and logical thing to do. Getting back to logic, Dorothy thinks it's great Rose feels that way, but does that equal love for Buddy or just comfort? Adding to the question, Blanche asks about money. No, not if they love it, but if they've discussed it. Since they aren't getting married and therefore can't protect each other's money with a prenup, she would have to resort to stealing cash out of his wallet while he bathes. Turns out they have talked about money, and Buddy has insisted they keep their money separate. The only thing he has asked of her was to send him half of her share for the new apartment he would be getting. Not only would it be bigger than his place, but they'll both be moving into a fresh new place, making it their own. That's when Blanche realizes Rose wasn't asking for advice but telling them what she had decided. As sad as she is to break up the threesome, they give their blessing for her to go where the love and happiness is. Now that Rose's dilemma is settled, Rose moves on to the next topic, figuring out who will be wearing the dress for the fundraiser. According to Blanche, there is no discussion to be had. The gorgeous dress deserves to be on a gorgeous body, leaving Dorothy to ask if she'll be mailing it to Nine and a Half Weeks star, Kim Basinger. Engaging in yet another roast, Blanche asks Dorothy what she means by that comment, to which she tells her to try and figure it out the next time she's going to town on a cheesecake. Shocked at the implication, Blanche seeks emotional refuge in some chocolate chip cookies, which they're out of. So she'll have to go change, then go to the store for the cookies. On second thought, she'll just take the girdle off in the car to go shopping. And while she's out, she'll grab some bean dip. Okay, so she's an emotional eater. Leave her alone, Dorothy. Getting closer to the banquet and Rose leaving, it's a new day. Walking through the living room in a teddy bear brown sweater and sweatpants set, Blanche is greeted by Dorothy, wearing her tax audit duster, who is home with news. She went to the store and found a new gown. Oh, but just her luck, wanting to appear as a kind friend, Blanche returned her dress as well. Holding up the same cream bags with large red zippers, the ladies realize they have both gone to Mr. Marty's on Market Street, where the promise is that each dress is a one-of-a-kind original, which has me thinking these are very expensive, tailored, pretty much custom dresses. Worried that they'll be in the same dilemma again, Blanche threatens to leave Mr. Marty with one-of-a-kind if the dresses are the same. Ripping the top of the bag off the dresses, the girls are relieved when Dorothy's is red and Blanche's is black and gold. The dress conversation was important, but that wasn't what Dorothy wanted to talk to her about. Her concerns are about Buddy. Ever since Rose told the girls about the half-of-the-apartment money situation, Dorothy has been feeling uncomfortable. So, making some calls, she learned that Buddy had recently retired from the Army Pension Office after working there for 45 years. When Blanche doesn't follow, Dorothy explains. This means he didn't serve with Charlie, he found Rose, a vulnerable widow, after going through Charlie's file. Sure, he could have found out about Charlie that way, but not the personal details about Rose. But if you really think about it, do you need to know that much about Rose to get her to start talking about her family, friends, home life, the oversized rutabaga of her uncle Fingerbinger? Putting the pieces together, Blanche realizes the whole relationship and plan to move was just a scam to get Rose's money. 
They must talk to Rose and stop her from giving him any of her money, but they might be too late as she's at the bank while they speak, withdrawing said money. And somehow Dorothy also discovered that this was a scam Buddy had pulled before. But we never get to know anything else about that. So... Coming into the living room in her new black velvet-topped, gold-collared, and skirted dress, Sophia is now the one competing with Blanche in a who-will-wear-it-best contest. Going back to the pier, Rose, in her pink jeans, white shirt, and blue and pink floral cardigan, is talking with boring 80s dad-outfitted buddy, telling him how she's told her kids all about him. They, too, just couldn't believe that the two of them had finally crossed paths. This leads Rose to telling another Charlie story, this time about the dinosaur bones that had been found near St. Olaf. Minnesota has had discoveries of dino fossils, but nothing large or complete. As Rose starts diving into the story about the bones and a dog, Buddy interrupts her. It's clear she's avoiding talking about moving to Boston. Called out, she confesses. She can't go with him. Not because she doesn't care about him, but because she isn't being honest about their relationship. The time that they have spent together has been wonderful, but not because of a love she has for Buddy. It's because she's been able to revisit Charlie memories in a happy and safe way. Memories she had been too scared to access as she thought it would hurt too much. Sometimes, like special holidays or lonely nights in an empty bed, she can't handle the pain. But for whatever reason, with Buddy, it's easy. For that, she appreciates him, but... She can't move with him just for the selfish reason of her own happiness. Even though she already knew she couldn't move with him, Rose did go to the bank. She was retrieving Charlie's gold watch from her safe deposit box and was gifting it to Buddy. She doesn't care what it cost. She wants him to have it as a thank you for the joy their time together brought her. Showing he really does have a heart, Buddy can't accept the gift. He has taken too much from the Nylons already. Refusing to explain more, the emotionally avoidant Buddy, who is so scared of his own feelings he won't even go to a funeral, is finally honest, telling Rose he's going to run away. As a reflex, he even throws in that he'll write, before being honest again and being like, no, actually, I won't. With a compliment and goodbye, Buddy was gone. Getting back to the house, joining Sophia in her room, she's crocheting in her pink robe while listening to Pavarotti singing live from the Met in New York when Dorothy interrupts. (laughs) She has to talk to her. Now. Not a problem for Sophia. She can catch the live concert any time. Children, this was pre-internet. She could, in fact, not catch the concert ever again. Upset about the situation with Rose, Sophia agrees. She was hoping she was moving out so she could get the bigger room with the better natural light. No, that's not what Dorothy's upset about. She's upset about the whole buddy being a con man thing. Confused, Sophia doesn't understand what there is to be upset about. Rose didn't move, and Buddy is out of the picture. That's not what's bothering Dorothy. She feels she and Blanche have kind of lied to Rose via omission. By not telling her what they learned, Buddy gone or not, they aren't being totally honest. Sophia sees no harm. Rose enjoyed Buddy, so why mess that up? But Dorothy just can't square it. Enter a Sophia story. Going back to Sicily, 1922, where a military officer is stationed. He walks the street, hoping to find a nice drink and lady. He settles into a little cafe where he gets that drink and the girl. After some cafe flirtations, she takes him home where they have three days of making love and drinking wine. Getting back to the base, he was a renewed man, ready to take on whatever the war would bring. The peasant who brought the soldier new life, Sophia. The soldier, former prime minister of the United Kingdom, Winston Churchill. I have to agree with Dorothy here. I think Sophia made all of that up, mostly based on the dates. In 1922, Winston Churchill was the Secretary of State for the Colonies in charge of the Colonial Dependencies. Also that year, his mother and daughter had passed away. I don't think he was wandering the streets of Sicily. But that's exactly Sophia's point. She did make it up. It was a victimless story that brought her joy and harmed no one. And that's the same position Rose is in. She lived through a made-up story, but it made her happy, and in the end, no one was hurt. 
so let her hold on to Buddy and Charlie in a good way. Advice like that was exactly why Dorothy went to talk to Sophia. She's right, and she'll leave well enough alone. As Sophia gets back to vibing on Pavarotti, we go into Rose's room, where we find her tucked into bed with a huge smile on her face. Laying on multicolored checkered sheets with a floral comforter, she looks to the sky, telling her dear Charlie goodnight and that she loves him, before rolling over to go to sleep. As far as Rose is concerned, I agree with Sophia. Telling her about Buddy would only taint her memories of Charlie and probably lead to her being more closed off about him. Having someone like Buddy in her life only reminded her how much she and Charlie loved one another, and it made her happy to know that their love had been celebrated. Outside of that, I think Dorothy should have at least made a call and reported him. The internet scams against baby boomers of today have skyrocketed, but it's not like they didn't exist in the 80s. According to Consumer Reports, last year more than 3.5 million elderly Americans were victims of a scam, the average loss being around $34,000. As a $3 billion industry, if you know someone is pulling crap like that, you should be reporting it to the FBI. Coco, how do you feel the information about Buddy should have been handled? I definitely think that Dorothy should have made an official call. That was the thought I had when Buddy left was that, is he going to do this to someone else who's less, he's less connected to? Yeah, and Dorothy even said, and it wasn't the first time he tried it. Yeah, so so either he's going to do that again, or maybe that was the one that mm. that broke him of it. I like to think that. I yeah. really hope that's true. I feel like, well, I, I think that's one thing, is that, like they, that, that they change when they encounter people, and the people they encounter change too, usually. Mm-hmm. So I think that's cool. Yeah, Rose's humanity kind of forced him to have some yeah was mm-hmm. there another aspect to your question oh i was just curious like if you think they should have told her or not throughout this recording i've been i've been weighing that the whole time i think sometimes there is such a thing as a good lie mm-hmm. or a good omission and i think that I, it's a hard thing to weigh you know it's a hard thing to to kind of think on behalf of the other person do right. they want this do they need this are they going to be mad if they find out that i withheld it Will they understand why I did? Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It's a tough choice. I, I, I have something in my life that I have that not a lot of people know about. Hmm. I have a thing in my life that not, not a lot of people know about. And so it's just like, and it, and it would be, I don't know if it'd be a burden, but it's heavy stuff. Hmm. I don't know if the people that I have a instinct to tell hmm. need that weight, you know? Yeah. So. I don't know if that's too heavy, but that, that's... No, I think that's, that's nice. I mean, this is heavy. She was going to, like, move with the guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I... I'm such a blabbermouth. I feel like I would at least warn her. In I some would way, at least yeah. kind of be like, you know, I just felt weird about that money thing and the way he just disappeared on you. Like, please let me know if he calls you again because I just... my vi- I just didn't like his energy. And then if he tries to infiltrate again, you can be like, hey... Here's his deal. That's a good way to say it, because then, because then it's on you, right? As the person with the with the the issue with them, it's not on that person. You're saying I felt weird, right? They were weird. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Depending on the situation, ah. (laughs) But I mean, really, I have I have found though that in life, honesty is the best policy. Yeah. As I've gotten older, I mean, (laughs) I've realized that being straightforward (laughs) with people and honest about. Uh, situations like that and feelings about those things yeah, are very important, especially, well, not especially, but when it comes to friends, you're not family, so you don't have to do that sort of family mm. thing where you kind of cater to a bad relationship sometimes. Right. You're friends. You should be able to say, no, you shouldn't be dating that guy. Right. And there shouldn't be a risk. Yeah. And if there is, that's a bad friend. That's a bad friend. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Is that you. enough things? That was great, Coco. Thank you. You want me to tell you more about prom? Yes. <laughs> While the job of a friend is to be the protector, sometimes that protection is of the friend's happiness, not necessarily from a person. So for Dorothy, she knew it was better to let Rose live with Buddy in her heart as a kind man than to tell her who he really was. And that's okay. As long as that same energy is around if Buddy or anyone like him shows up again and tries to take advantage of Rose's generosity. As for the dress wearing, heck, wear the same thing and act surprised at the event. Maybe flip a coin or be the bigger person and just go change the dress. What this really showed us was that there are bigger issues in the world than fashion, 
emergencies like running out of bean dip. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when we get a little freaky with The Artist. Remember that I saw Unforgiven with my grandma? Mm -hmm. I also saw Super Mario Brothers with my grandma. (gasps) Holy crap, she didn't like it. Two days ago, I was thinking about Dane Cook. Normalize the shocker. Normalize the shocker. (laughs) That's a good t-shirt. Normalize the shocker. (laughs) (laughs) You hate her that much? No. No. (laughs) We don't feel weird. We are super connected and everything's great. Ah. I mean, I don't feel disconnected from you. My God. No, just like, Ah! you know, you get your like depression bubble around you. And like, it's hard for your How head to like you. let things. You know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Always be my sister, season three, episode 12, Charlie's Buddy. Get it? Double meaning. Because he was Charlie's pal, but his name is Buddy. So he's like, Charlie's Buddy. Wow. Yeah, I didn't get that until just now. Thank you. Sorry. You're welcome. It's I been didn't a get long it. week. I it's didn't get Monday. it until you're watching. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just going to sip my coffee. TV gets a thumbs up from Alicia Holland. (laughs) They make programs and she likes them. And everyone, I bet you everyone on every crew was getting divorced at the time too. The 80s were rife with it. Oh, it was very popular. How many have I been near? I don't even know. 50? (laughs) It's got a squeak. It's got a wet. And it's got kind of a a wobble to it. Yeah. Yeah. That slight has door three feet. Dorth. <laughs> Dorth on golf. Was it before now we were talking about hangy flesh? Well, when we finally have a little bit of money in our lives, we're going to have like, uh, a whole, like a whole Halloween of costumes. <laughs> it's true. Thank you. What are, where are they going? They are going to a hospital fundraising banquet, of which we never get to see. Hmm. Are they dressed as medical waste? (laughs) 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 Throw your money at us. That's a good idea. That's why they end up with the uh, skin, the fleshy one, because they're like, it's medical or something. The skin, the fleshy one. (laughs) (laughs) The ancient evil. Was I talking? I I went away for a minute. My folks leaned pretty heavily toward more towards sweatpants than (laughs) tailored slacks for me. What? What? Unbuttoned sweatpants? I'm going to see him once. He's going to wear them. The next time they're going to look a little tighter. And I know the top button is not going to be buttoned. And he's going to be afraid that the zipper is going to fall down. Ripped from the headlines. That was my high school experience. So not a lot of tuxes. I wasn't that heavy. I wore khakis. Had to. Oh my god. I have like a specific shirt that I can't remember wearing that I hated so much. It was a Dockers polo shirt. <laughs> and it had huge red, white, and blue stripes going down. Mm-hmm. And I just looked awful in it. <laughs> like I'm like dizzy from laughing. I'm so sorry. You know, I was going to look it up a few minutes ago, and then I got distracted by something. <laughs> <laughs> Let me look. By your parents' wedding. Why would his first rose... Rose words, rose words, words, rose? Um, 
Take that again. Just for safety. <laughs> Jubilant. 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 Her clear discomfort and false enthusiasm have Dorothy whispering in her ear, Gross. I don't remember what the premise. I think he, I think he, I think he like literally gets hit in the head and forgets things. Perfect. Or he oh, has that like sounds very familiar. Maybe I saw that. He can remember things for like ten seconds. Relatable. That's Milo O'Shea, everybody. <laughs> Rose is excited about spending time. She can share memories about. Whoa. Rose is excited about spending time with someone. She can. Hera. You can do this. Let's do this. You've been doing it. Let's continue to do it. Do it. And it's such a short episode, we're already halfway through. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> you know, the cow really jumped over the moon last night. He he laid her down 20 hours a day for sex. She just can't believe that after all of these years. Oh. <clears throat> oh. Oh. Huh. I want my neck to just keep going all the way down. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, I guess Mitch McConnell looks like old pizza dough. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I am, that's redundant. what I meant. I am stoned. <laughs> <laughs> I need a man with the slow hands. I need a man with a sweet touch. Blanche did shit. Hey, what Rose needs advice about is Buddy, but the girls are too busy. Busy taking a seat at the kitchen. T- uh, one more. Uh, okay. You know that whole by the cow. Oh my gosh! Can you say the word why? Not only could she have sha- sh- shaved them. Ew, shave them. Gross. They actually have talked about money. And Buddy has... Muddy Buddy. The oversized rutabaga of her uncle... Uncle? Uncle Finger Binger. Huh? Beer. But it made her happy. And in the end... Jen Shaw. You come for me. You come for me, Jen Shaw. <laughs> I have a question. You got a question? I got a question. You got to get them baby backs. Da 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 Yeah, I believe it was uh, maybe strategically insignificant even. Mm. Something like that. So That's also my emo band. Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sister.